Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. All right, so today we are continuing our series on the upward journey that Cameron uh, began last week. And the upward journey is all about drawing close uh, to God, drawing near to him with confidence that he is also drawing near to us. And so the beginning of this series, over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at the attributes of God. And the the attributes we're going to be looking at are his goodness, his mercy, his love, his faithfulness, his omniscience, right? That means he's all-knowing. His omnipotence, that he's all-powerful. We're going to look at his faithfulness and his justice and his grace. And the the reason that we want to take time to contemplate God's characteristics or God's revealed attributes is because we believe, and the 2 Corinthians 3.18 attests, that as we behold God, as we look at God, as we contemplate Him, we are transformed. The Holy Spirit transforms us more and more into His image. Right? And so today, we are going to take some time to step back and just look at God's mercy. And my prayer is that as we contemplate his mercy, as we look at the, the mercifulness of God and how that has poured into us, how it has saved us, and how that has transformed us, my prayer is that as we behold that, we will become conduits of God's mercy in our world that we become better conduits, that we are the hands and feet of of Jesus in our community, in our family, in our places of work, right? That we can uh, give, we can be conduits of God's mercy everywhere that we go. And so that's why we're spending the day talking about mercy. And Luis Palau, who is an author and a radio host, he tells this story in his book, Experiencing God's Forgiveness. And he says that a mother uh, approached Napoleon to ask a pardon for her son. And the, the emperor replied that the man had committed this offense and justice, or that he committed this offense twice, and that justice demanded death. But the mother explained, I don't ask for justice. I plead for mercy. And Napoleon replied, but your son doesn't deserve mercy. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. Right? I don't know that that is a true story. I have no idea. But Louis Plow, he's a stand-up guy. He's probably, no, he's probably got sources. Um, anyway, and so, but if whether or not this is a true story, it's a beautiful picture of what mercy is, right? Mercy was not given because the man deserved it, right? Mercy is given in spite of what we deserve. You know, the Bible teaches that mercy triumphs over judgment. This man deserved judgment, but he got mercy instead. And our definition for mercy today is that mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power and right to punish, harm, or ignore. Right? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness that is shown towards someone whom it is within one's power and right to punish, 
harm, or ignore. And we see an amazing picture of God's mercy. Because we probably all would be able to say, yeah, God is merciful, God is merciful. But we see an awesome picture of that in the parable of the unmerciful servant. And if you remember a few weeks ago, Jimmy used this parable when he was talking about forgiveness. Uh, but not only does this parable reveal the, this unmerciful servant, but it re- reveals the compassion and the mercy of the king. Right? And it says, therefore, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 23, the kingdom of heaven is like a man, I think I've got it up here, there it is, is like a man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And Jimmy told us that this 10,000 bags of gold was an unpayable debt. It was billions of dollars in our own, in our modern currency, right? This was a debt, however this guy got into debt, it was a debt he could not pay back. And since he was not able to pay the master, the the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt, and let him go. Now the truth is, the servant really owed a huge debt. And it was absolutely within the king's power and in his right to sell the man and his family. Right? The man could not pay back his debt. There, and there was a legal system. This is how it worked in, in these days. And the, the, the king would have been in his rights, and he would have been just to sell the man and his family. But the king was merciful and forgives this unpayable debt. Right? And this is a, a picture of what our God is like. Right? Our God, the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, is full of mercy. He is abounding in mercy. Right? And today, you might feel like you're far from God, Right, that you might feel distant or trying to stay away from God. You might, because of your sin or your, your failure, you might feel guilty or, or shameful. And so you're trying to avoid God because you don't want that smack upside the head when He gets a hold of you. Right? But the good news is that it doesn't matter what you have done because our God is merciful. Our God is merciful and He is ready to forgive you. And he's not expecting and waiting for you to get your life in order and then give you mercy. No, mercy is given to those who don't deserve it. And so God is here today to extend mercy. And he is inviting each and every one of you to draw close to him and receive his love and his forgiveness today. All right, and so today I want to look at two aspects of mercy. The first is that mercy presupposes sin, and the second is this idea that mercy is always active. All right? there, we've said that, that God is full of mercy, but in order for there to be mercy, there must be offense. In order for there to be mercy, there must be offense. Well, I don't know about that, Mark. That seems sketchy. All right, Mercy is an attribute of God, was always is always and will always be one of his glorious characteristics. There is, there is no beginning to God's mercy. There will be no end to God's mercy. 
But God was not merciful to Adam and Eve before the fall. He wasn't merciful to them before the fall because they didn't need it. Adam and Eve were surrounded by God's love and his grace. Right? They were uh, given this beautiful garden, all these trees, everything in the earth was for their pleasure. Right? He had given them purpose. He had given them a destiny. He had given them a, a calling. He was close to them. Uh, and so he, we see that he uh, is present and he is intimate, that he gives them grace and love, but he does not give them mercy. But in Genesis 3, we see the, the story of, of the fall. Adam and Eve disobeyed God uh, by, by eating from the tree that he had forbidden that they eat from. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, the serpent is there and he deceives them. He causes them to begin to, to question God. And then he watches as they reach out and take this forbidden fruit. That God said, when you eat of it, you will die. That is the consequence. And in Genesis 3.6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And I want to... Uh, put forward this idea that this very well could have been the end of the human race, right? And God would have been just and right to do it. He had said, when you eat of this, you are going to die, okay? And if God was not merciful, he could have thrown his hands up, he could have walked away from Adam and Eve and allowed them to die in their fallen state. And he would have been just, right? And he would have been righteous in his actions. He told them what was going to happen. But our God, right, he's not only good, he's not only righteous, but our God is abounding in mercy. And so in God's mercy, he comes close to them, right? This act that completely separates them from God. God in his mercy draws close to Adam and Eve. He comes and seeks them out. He makes a, a, a picture of the, he made garments of skin for them to wear. He kicked them out of the garden, which doesn't seem super merciful at first, right? But he did it in order that they would not reach out and eat from the tree of life and then be locked into and stuck into this fallen state forever. He, he kicks them out of the garden, he clothes them, and he promises to Eve and to Adam that from Eve's offspring, I am going to restore this. I am going to fix this problem that you have caused. So here, we've heard this story so many times, we can just read it quickly and move along, right? But Adam and Eve have messed up everything, right? God has brilliantly and beautifully crafted this creation, all of the cosmos, right? The planets and the stars and the plants and the animals and all the biology and all the, the little creatures and all the, the atoms, all this stuff is perfect and sinless. Right? And Adam and Eve come and mess up the whole thing. You know how, and, and God does not shun them. He doesn't walk away from them. He doesn't reject them. Right? How often have we rejected people who have offended us for so much less? We said, we're done with them. That can't be forgiven. 
And here, Adam and Eve mess up everything. They bring corruption and sin into God's perfect creation. And God comes to them. And God has mercy on them and forgives them and says, we can fix this. And we have inherited this sin, right? This sin that separated Adam and Eve from God, we have inherited and we, in our sinfulness, are now separated from God. But the truth is that mercy is launched towards sin. Mercy reaches out through offense, right? So don't let your sin or your failure or your guilt or your fear keep you running and hiding from God because our God is merciful. He's not just just. He's not just good. He's not just righteous. He is merciful. And not only does mercy presuppose sin, and we're all sinners, so we need mercy, mercy is also active. Mercy is not just a disposition, it is active. And uh, Dan Parker, in this Bible dictionary that I have, he says that God is not seen as displaying an emotion called mercy, but is taking merciful action. Right? So throughout both Testaments, throughout the entire Bible, when we see God being merciful, we see it through his divine actions. Right? Remember, our definition for mercy is compassion or forgiveness that is shown, that is revealed, that is acted out towards someone whom it is within one's power or right to punish, to harm, or to ignore. God has every right to punish, harm, or ignore us, but he does not do it. He comes and is merciful. And we see this mercy throughout the Old Testament. In Acts chapter three, nope, in Exodus chapter three, verse seven, the, the Lord says, this is the story of the burning bush, and the Lord says to Moses at the burning bush, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. Right? He has seen the misery of his people. He has heard their cry, and he was concerned about their suffering, so he comes down to rescue them. Right? This is God's mercy in action. He sees their suffering. Matthew Henry, uh, as a, he lived at the end of the 1600s, early 1700s, and he wrote, uh, he was a pastor, but he also wrote a, a like a six or seven volume commentary series on the whole Bible. And it's free on the internet. You, anybody can read it. People still use it all the time. Matthew Henry said that misery is the object of mercy. Right? Misery is the object uh, of mercy. And when he uses this word misery, what he means in, his, in the 1600s is the wretchedness. God sees the wretchedness of his people. Well, that's not very nice. I'm not wretched. Yes, you are. Um, um, you know, he sees the distress. He sees the suffering. He sees the, the great need of his people. And he doesn't just have this feeling of like, oh man, that's too bad. They've really gotten themselves in a pickle this time. Right? No, he has compassion and he goes into action. Right? Raising up Moses. Right? He sends Moses and he performs these, the, the, the plagues and all this stuff and he brings the Israelites out of Egypt. And they didn't deserve it. They were suffering, they were poor, they were messed up, and there's had some bad circumstances. But ultimately, they didn't deserve for God to come and rescue him, but he is merciful. He heard their cries and he came. 
And then the super grateful people, they get out of Egypt and they're just high-fiving God and everything is great. And they're like, God, thank you so much for your provision. Thanks for getting us out of Egypt. Thanks for getting us across the Red Sea. Oh, there's not much food here, but man, this is great. That's actually not how they were at all, right? These people were brutal. They were like, it's, they just get across the Red Sea. They're led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And they get, and they see God defeat their enemy in the, getting drowned in, in the Red Sea. And they get on the other side and they're like, man, we don't have anything to drink. This water's no good. God, what are, what are we going to do? This is the worst thing that's ever happened to us. And God is merciful to them. And he, he transforms the bitter water into, into fresh water so they can drink it. In the next verse, they're, they're, they're walking away. Uh, they're walking towards the promised land and they're hungry and they're like, God, I wish you would have just killed us in Egypt. That would have been so much better. When we were in Egypt, we had food to eat. Everything was great there. And now we're stuck. You've brought us out here to die. You're the worst. Right? And God is merciful. They didn't deserve to be sent manna and quail to eat in the desert. But God is merciful. He is moving. He is acting in, in, in towards bringing redemption to his people. And so we see uh, throughout the Old Testament, so often we think that the Old Testament reveals an angry and vindictive and destructive God. But if you read through the Old Testament, and I encourage you to read through it, you see a beautiful picture of the love and the compassion and the mercy of God. The God of the New Testament is no different than the God of the Old Testament. He loves his people and he's calling his people. Right? There are certainly consequences to sin, and that is why we, we see God sometimes uh, you know, bringing armies to defeat Israel and, and uh, kick them out of the land and disperse them because he's trying to draw them back because they won't listen to him. It's his mercy. So over and over again, God's covenant people rebel and reject him. But when calamity comes, when trouble comes, when the armies come and take all their food and put them in slavery, they call out to God. And God, in His mercy, answers them. Because mercy is poured out upon those who do not deserve it. And as we get through the, the Old Testament into the New Testament, we find the fullest and greatest active expression of God's mercy in the sending of His Son, Jesus, right? Jesus was faithful. Where Israel was, was unfaithful, where they were unable to undo this problem of sin, Jesus comes and is faithful. Jesus is the promised offspring of, of Eve that was promised way back in Genesis 3 or 4 that said, your offspring, Eve, is going to crush the head of the enemy. This is Jesus Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, he comes and he lives a sinless and perfect life so that he could be the sacrifice for sin, so that he could take the penalty that God's justice demanded. Jesus died in our place. He died in our place so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be made right with God the Father. You see, all of humanity, each and every one of us, deserves punishment for our sin. But God, in his mercy, took that punishment on himself. 
And so in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. And in these couple of chapters, uh, 8, 9, and 10 are a, a section of Mark. And in these three chapters, uh, he predicts his death three times. And the last time, the third time in Mark 10.33, he says this. Uh, he says to his disciples, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over, the ch- over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And Jesus is referring to himself. He is the Son of Man. He says, We're going to Jerusalem, and I am going to be delivered over the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn me to death, They will hand me over to the Gentiles. They will mock me and spit on me, flog me, and kill me. And three days later, I will rise. And so this is where Jesus is heading, right? He is on his way to Jerusalem. He is on his way to the cross to undo the the problem of sin that has been, you know, uh, oppressing humanity since the fall for thousands and thousands of years. God, the, Jesus is the, the ultimate revelation of God's cosmic rest, restorative mercy to the cosmos, right? God, Jesus is coming to, to defeat the powers and the principalities, to defeat sin and death, right? And he's got to do it by going to the cross, by getting tortured and flogged, right? By, by being spit on and mocked and ultimately killed, right? And this is where he's headed, and this is the end of chapter 10 and chapter 11. He arrives in Jerusalem. And so he is focused on, on this terrible thing that is in front of him. Right? And for me, like if I'm on my way to the dentist and I'm just like, I think they're going to have to give me a shot. I think I've got a cavity. Right? Nothing else exists in the world. In my world, there's just my pity for myself and my fear of what this dentist uh, appointment is going to be. Right? And so, and that's kind of a minor, okay, that's terrible. That is an incredibly minor thing compared to what Jesus is about to endure. Right? And so Jesus is on his way to the cross. He knows what is in front of him. And so on their way to Jerusalem, they have to pass through Jericho. And it says in Mark 10, 46, when they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Right? And Bartimaeus uh, can be translated as son of filth. Isn't that a terrible name? You're a son of filth. Anyway, and so this blind beggar, right, he's sitting on the side of the road. He has no education. He has no training. He has no marketable skills, right? He has nothing to offer anybody. He definitely has nothing to offer Jesus. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to his death. But here is Bartimaeus. He is desperate. He is miserable. He has no hope. He is in desperate need of mercy. And we might not immediately identify with Bartimaeus. We may not be like him on the outside, right? We're probably not blind beggars. But we may not see ourselves in these significantly desperate straits that Bartimaeus is in physically. But he is a picture of our spiritual need. Right? We are all blind and hopeless, deserving nothing, with nothing to offer, and in need of mercy. 
That is our spiritual state. That is our reality. And when he heard that it was Jesus, this is in 1047, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And those around him, the disciples, the people on the street, they rebuke him and say, be quiet. Don't bother him. He's got stuff on his mind. He's got things to do. But Bartimaeus shouts out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. Jesus responds to Bartimaeus' cry. This hopeless, dirty, smelly beggar with nothing to offer, Jesus stops and says, Call him. Because Bartimaeus was calling out for mercy. Right, just like in Exodus 3, 7, uh, when God is in the burning bushes talking to Moses, he says, I heard the cries of the Israelites. I had compassion on them, and I am coming to save them. Jesus hears our cries for mercy. He is ready to respond. He is not too busy to respond to your need. We can trust in the, 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 the Psalms that, that David wrote. Psalm 6 was just one example where he says, Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. God has not run out of mercy. You have not gone too far, taken one step too far that God's mercy is just out of reach for you. God's mercy had no beginning. God's mercy has no end. And he is waiting and ready to respond to your cry for mercy. And so the story continues. It says, they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. There's so many things I want to say about this proverb, this story, but we're going to keep pressing on. Mercy. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. And this seemed insensitive that Jesus was like, hey, blind man, what would you like me to do for you? Like, uh, a dir. <laughs> I would like to see. But Jesus knew there was going to be a cost. This, this uh, Bartimaeus, he um, probably made a pretty decent living, in a sense, begging. Right? He didn't have to, to work, you know, and because in that culture, like, it was a, um, it was an act of, um, it was a religious act to give to the, the merciful and, or to give to the poor. And when Bartimaeus would have received the coins, a couple of coins, he would have stood up and said, you know, like, in lavished praise on the person who had, had been merciful, like, you are, you're the most gracious person and God bless you. And it's like, it was uh, kind of fed into the ego, right? It's like, look at me, you know? And, and everybody around can see how spiritual you are, right? And so he probably had made a decent living. I mean, that's within, who knows, right? But Jesus knew that when he healed this man, this man who didn't have a job was going to have to get up and was going to have to take care of himself, right? He was going to have to get a job. Was, he was no longer going to be blind, so people were no longer going to be throwing money at him, right? And so he would have to, you know, kind of step it up in a way, right? And so Jesus says, is this really what you want? 
And the man says, yes, have mercy on me. I want to see. Right? And so Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. His faith healed him. What did he have faith in? He had faith that Jesus had the power to heal. He'd probably heard of this Jesus because it says as soon as he heard that it was Jesus, he, he kind of sat up and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He had faith that Jesus uh, had the power to heal. And he also, he believed that Jesus had compassion and mercy on the poor. Right? He'd probably heard the stories that Jesus healed lepers. He healed blind people. He went to the, the people that the rest of the world rejected. So he had faith that Jesus would hear and answer his cry for mercy. He also probably had faith and he was confident that Jesus was the Messiah. He refers to him as the son of David, a name not too often given about Jesus throughout the Gospels. And this is a messianic title. So this Bartimaeus was probably a Jewish guy and says, Messiah, son of David, my Lord, have mercy on me. So he's confident in who Jesus is. And so we can have faith in these three things as well. We can have faith that Jesus has power to heal. Right? The the, the healing gift did not end with the last apostle in the first century, right? The, the gift of healing is still available for us today. We're seeing it more and more in our church. We've had, we had an amazing testimony up in, at the Nichols uh, Church a few weeks ago. This lady had been having terrible, terrible back pain, and a couple of her ribs, I guess, were out of whack. I don't know. And she went to a chiropractor, and he, he would put the ribs back in place. I don't understand how chiropractory, chiropractory? Uh, anyway, I don't understand how that dark arts works. And he, uh, and, but they put him back and the ribs would pop out again. She was just in excruciating pain. It's not dark arts. That was a joke. Um, if you're a chiropractor, bless you. Um, and so they were praying for this lady. Her name's Kelly. And they were praying for her and, and, and Marilee was praying for her. You guys know Marilee. Uh, and she could feel this, these ribs out of, out of place, kind of sticking out. And she was praying for her and praying for her, and she just felt like this heat. And the, those ribs popped back into place. And, 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 uh, and Kelly was just like, did you feel that? And Marilee's like, yeah, I did. What was that? She's like, she, she, like the pain was gone. Right? Yeah. Amazing. Last Sunday, she ran a half marathon. Amazing. Yeah, so our God heals. Right? Bartimaeus had faith that God heals. We can have faith that God heals. But not only does God uh, uh, heal, but this is a picture that God is willing and able to meet all of our physical needs. You know, whatever need we have, we can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you have mercy on me? Right? And we can have faith and we can have confidence that Jesus is willing and able and ready to answer your cry. Right? And sometimes he's going to do it supernaturally, and sometimes he'll raise up somebody like he raised up Moses to go set the Israelites free. Right? But God is merciful, and he hears your cry. He's ready to answer. And we can be confident that Jesus is who he said he is, that Jesus is the Son of David, the Messiah, the, 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 the sinless Lamb of God who takes, uh, takes away the sin of the world. And we can be confident that we can call out to God for mercy. Right? He is willing 
He is able to respond. He has not run out of mercy yet. And so each and every one of us is poor, blind Bartimaeus. Right? We are in complete need. We are in complete dependence on God. We are sinners. Our sin separates us from God. We deserve judgment and punishment for our sin. And we cannot, by our own works, do anything about it. We're miserable. We're broken. Without a lifeline. Without hope. But praise God that misery is the object of mercy. And our God abounds in mercy. In Micah 7.18, it actually says that God delights in showing mercy. He delights in showing mercy. It is crazy. It's shocking. So if, if mercy presupposes sin and God delights in showing mercy, all right, this certainly does not mean, I think Paul deals with this in Romans 6, right? Well, then we should just sin. We'll give God a bunch of delight. This is going to be great. You're welcome. <laughs> it does not work that way. No, no. Sin is destructive and it kills. It brings death every single time. But God delights in restoring and bringing freedom in saving people from the filth that sin has gotten us into. He delights in showing mercy. And so we can call out to Jesus, just like Bartimaeus did, for mercy. And we can have faith that his mercy and his love are going to come and meet our needs. So the question today is, where do you need mercy? Where do you need mercy today? Is it for salvation? Do you need mercy for physical healing? Lou does. We'll pray for you, Lou. Do you need, do you need uh, mercy for a financial breakthrough? Right? Do you need mercy because you're locked in depression or fear or worry? Or do you need mercy because of what we uh, prayed about earlier today, that you are feeling you're trapped in crippling insecurity, right? Do you need uh, mercy because you're hopeless, you're friendless, you're joyless? Whatever your need is, you can cry out to him right now for mercy. Son of David, Messiah, my lifeline, my hope, have mercy on me. Hebrews 4.16 says, Then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God says that we are to approach Him to, to receive mercy. So if you need mercy today, I just encourage you, just close your eyes. Just tell Him, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I need mercy. Jesus, I'm hopeless. Jesus, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. Jesus, I, uh, I, I'm just, I can't get out of this, this, this cycle of depression. Would you come and have mercy on me? Jesus, I need your mercy in my body. Would you come? We've all received God's mercy. And I just encourage you today at the, at the end of service, if you have a, a need uh, in, your, in your heart or in your body, in your mind, that you would come and get prayer. That you would 
take a step, that you would approach the throne of grace to receive mercy. And the last thing that I want to say today before we close is that since we have received mercy, how should we respond in our lives? We give mercy, right? We do what Bartimaeus did. We follow Jesus. And where was Jesus headed? Jesus was headed to the cross. And Jesus tells us to pick up our cross and to follow him. And so we go and we offer mercy just like Jesus did. We offer mercy to the people like Bartimaeus, the people who have nothing to offer. People who have wronged us. The people who are dirty. The people who are in great need. The people who do not deserve mercy. Right? But mercy is launched toward misery. Mercy is launched towards need. Mercy is launched towards people who don't deserve it. And so let's live lives of mercy because of the mercy that we have received.